It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 327 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May 4th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can, of course, can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Uh, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, it's the best place to find the local angle, local perspective on all the biggest stories in the NBA and the NFL, if you want to dabble in that as well. I believe there's some MLB shows going, too, including Locked On Blue Jays. If you want to hear uh, about the Blue Jays, you can check that show out. And uh, yeah, Locked On Network, great resource, lots of good hosts. The hosts are, uh, you know, if you like a host, if you find one you enjoy, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes to their show. Uh, and I'm sure they would greatly appreciate a review, as would I, if you find Locked On Raptors. Uh, we've got a few new ratings on there, no new reviews of late, which, uh, come on, people, it's, it takes no time. It's very helpful. It helps with the algorithm. It puts us up in the rankings. We've been hanging around the top 100 a little bit over the course of the playoffs, so uh, any help and any support is greatly appreciated because it's a free podcast, so just do the one thing that I ask you to do. I, I, very, I very much appreciate it. Anyway, spiel over. Uh, we're going to get sad today. <laughs> we're talking... Uh, I guess about 24 hours or so after the beginning of the end uh, for the Raptors, they lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers in Game 2, 128-110, I think was the final score. And to join me to wallow in sadness is uh, Vivek Jacob. How's it going, man? Pretty good outside of the Raptors situation, obviously. (laughs) Um, I mean, that loss, I don't think anyone envisioned the game uh, that happened, especially considering the way Game 1 went. Yeah. You expected... Um, well, I guess, going into it, I wanted to see if there would be a carryover from Game 1, if they were just sort of down on themselves. But it didn't start out that way. They, they started well again the first quarter, and then obviously the Cavs sort of started chipping away at it in the second, and then, and then the wheels came off in the third, and then it was a LeBron show in the fourth, and that was that. Yeah, uh, I kind of thought the wheels started to come off a little bit at the end of the second. Um, there was, I think the Raptors were about 54 or 45 at one point after a Kyle 3, and then there was a few things that happened. I think Pascal picked up his third foul. I think OG was on th- th- three fouls as well, if I'm not mistaken. And they had to run out yeah. CJ Miles to guard LeBron, which uh, I, was never going to end well. There was one nice possession where, like, Miles did a pretty decent job to keep LeBron sort of pinned to the baseline. Uh, I believe him and Jonas kind of converged on a strip, and then it came down into George Hill's hands, and George Hill got fouled for an and one. And that, I think, was one of the big turning points. And then also, Kyle Lowry definitely drawing a charge that was called a blocking foul. Uh, I think kind of sapped a lot of the energy from the building, from the Raptors. And, like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's unfair to say the Raptors got a tough whistle in the first half last night. I don't think it's the reason they ended up losing. Um, but, like, that kind of goes in, I guess, to the whole juju of the Raptors in the playoffs, and they kind of lost it after that. And third quarter, LeBron comes out, 
Kevin Love, I mean, he was amazing in the first half, but he was just torching him in the in the in the second half as well. Uh, Serge Ibaka got pulled like a minute and. 40 seconds into the second half. We never saw him again. I'm sure we're going to talk about Surge a lot on this podcast because uh, he's probably the biggest problem right now with the Raptors. Um, maybe you disagree, but we'll get to that. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the the offense for the Cavs was just uh, was just lights out. The Raptors missed some looks. The Raptors got looks in this game, and they shot 50-40-90 and still lost by 18, uh, which I think speaks to how just dominant the Cavs' offense was. There was a stretch where C.J. Miles was guarding uh, Kevin Love. All of these things kind of came together for the Raptors to kind of be out of it. Uh, they got it to within 11 going into the fourth, and DeMar DeRozan, I thought, you know, for all the, 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 the talk that goes into the Raptors not having any sort of gumption or whatever the hell word you want to use in the playoffs, I thought DeMar did a really good job of trying to keep the Raptors in it. He was driving relentlessly. He was scoring pretty much whenever he wanted to. It's just that he was scoring twos. The Cavs were burying threes, and there was just... Uh, it kind of just felt like an, an air of, of inevitability uh, kind of hanging over the, the game at the start of the fourth quarter, and, you know, that, that was kind of it. Um, I guess, what was your biggest takeaway in terms of like what went wrong for the Raptors in this game it's got to be Serge Ibaka I mean at his best he is someone that can change the dynamics for the Raptors with his three-point shooting with his rim protection the value of that in a series against Cleveland you know talk about we talk about people that can sort of bend defenses he, he doesn't necessarily bend defenses because he doesn't have that gravity but he, he can sort of bend the matchups right yeah. and so um if you have Serge Ibaka playing well um at his best then you can start thinking about Ibaka at the five you can start thinking about uh trotting out a uh, front three of Ibaka Siakam and OG and essentially those would be your three best sort of big defenders um, that could potentially switch on each other if they have to. And Dwayne Casey has just had that completely taken out of the playbook because Ibaka just is completely disappeared. And so I think, hands down, that has to be um, the biggest takeaway in terms of what's gone wrong for the Raptors in this series. Um, you look at game one, if Ibaka gives you even a little bit more with the way Kevin Love played, you probably get the win there. Um, and then allowing love to get going in this one, it just it kind of just seems to spell doom the rest of the way. So then that's the one matchup that the Raptors just have been sort of decimated, and I, I don't know there's that there's much Casey can do about that. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I think Serge is the biggest problem with the Raptors in this series. I think. If you think about what he was acquired to do and like what he did in the playoffs last season, even though things went poorly in the second round against Cleveland, you know, Serge still shot well in that series. He was still, I think he averaged like 16 and a half points a game. Um, Lauer getting hurt kind of muddies what that series ended up being. Like w- with Serge this year, he's not being that third option. He is pretty much non-existent in the offense. Jonas is a very nice third option, but he doesn't provide the same sort of breath to the offense that Serge does when he's picking and popping. Um, you know, Jonas has done a really good job in the short roll and stuff like that, but there's still limitations to him that Ibaka, in theory, is supposed to kind of cover over. Um, you know, we talked all season long, especially late in the year, when the Raptors didn't bust out the Pascal Siakam, uh, Serge Ibaka front court. 
which you know they, they they didn't really play their hand with that very much, especially against Cleveland. I don't think we saw that at all. That was always kind of this thing, like oh man, if the Cavs go small, the Raptors have this lineup that's been excellent in a small sample that they can throw out there, and maybe it works defensively. You can switch across a few positions. The Raptors have played a drop back scheme, which has just been killing them so far. And then the times where they have tried to switch, it seems like they don't really know whether or not they're trying to switch or not, and it's just kind of been miscommunications. Or you get Demar Derozan or CJ Miles switched on to LeBron, and it becomes a disaster. Uh, like the small, you know, the, the pick and rolls between LeBron and a small have just been absolute chaos for the Raptors, and it's not gone well at all. Um, that doesn't really involve Ibaka, but just it, that's that's a tangent that just went off in my head. Ibaka, like he makes all these lineups that, in theory, would make it a little bit easier to sort of manage defensively against the Cavs while also keeping enough offense on the court to potentially take advantage of how crappy the Cavs' offense is. By him being a less than a zero, there's just no opportunity to run those lineups out there, and Casey can't risk having a guy who's just going to have, you know, dudes get offensive rebounds over him because his arms aren't even up, uh, or, or just, like, he's going to make dumb passes or dumb turnovers. He's going to not catch passes when they're thrown, to, thrown his way. For him to be an absolute zero, you're eliminating, like, a whole sort of playbook of lineups that they could go to uh, to potentially kind of counteract what the Cavs are doing. And unless the Cavs role players, like Kevin Love and all these guys, are going to miss shots, there's no chance for the Raptors to keep up offensively uh, when they have to keep the, these other lineups out there with Jonas Valanciunas or, 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 or Jakob Pertl playing center just because there's just not enough juice in those lineups and there's not enough defensive potential to stop. And, like, you're seeing all over the place, like, Jonas has been good. He's been like very good in this series, very good in the playoffs, but there's just limitations. You know, when Kevin Love is at the five and you see Kyle Korver screen for him and, and Jonas gets caught up under the basket and can't get out to Love for a three in the first quarter, like that is something that if you have Surge out there as the five, maybe that's mitigated some. Maybe that maybe that's not such a wide open look for Kevin Love. And for Surge to just be this absolute zero, like they don't even need peak OKC Serge Ibaka, like Orlando Serge Ibaka would be totally fine for what they need in this series from him, considering how well... Last year's Serge Ibaka was Exactly, totally exactly. <laughs> or even just like some of the Serge Ibaka that we saw this season. He's been worse than he was all year, and he wasn't even good this year. Um, like, considering how well Kyle and Damar have played, just the fact that Serge has been just less than zero, completely unplayable, has just nuked so much that they could do. And I don't know what you do about it. Do you see any sort of workaround when Surge is playing this poorly that Dwayne Casey can kind of go to? The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, no, not really. I mean, there, there were there was a stretch in Game One where you know with Ibaka struggling, with Pirtle struggling. I thought you know why not go to uh, Lucas Nogueira and just see what you can get out of him. So I was a little frustrated that it was something that wasn't even tried. Um, but that, that's more of a portal thing than an Ibaka thing. Um, but yeah, it's just he's the only one in the ro- on the roster that can provide both three-point shooting and rim protection. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, when he's not able to do that, it just takes away so much from what the Raptors can theoretically do um, against Cleveland. Now, obviously, is that a major weakness in the roster that 
they're depending on someone who's as inconsistent as Ibaka for to play such a pivotal role in a series like this. Um, you know, that's something that you have to consider. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of flaws exposed once again. You know, when, when you've got DeRozan and Valanciunas out there, you can see that the Cavs are more than content to, you know, play the two versus three game. And uh, more often than not, they're winning it. And so, um it's tough because Kyle Lowry, you know, you can see now that he, he just doesn't have much of a one-on-one game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now when you're depending on DeRozan for that shot creation, when you're depending on Valanciunas in the post, and then, you know, now when Love gets going, J.R. Smith's knocking down his threes, DeRozan's unable to keep up with sort of Corver coming off those screens, everything just becomes magnified and... Uh, yeah, it's just everything is glaringly obvious that this is a team that in a lot of places has, has just one-dimensional players and that gets exposed when you're going up against uh, the best player in the world who can sort of manipulate the court in a way that they're constantly exposed. Yeah, um, just another note on Surgeon, like you mentioned, on relying on him. Like, I don't think it's... I mean, maybe it's a bit of a damn. It's I don't think it's quite as damning as saying like last season, for example, when the Raptors like when Patrick Patterson was out, they kind of fell apart. Like I don't think it's like oh, you're relying on Serge Ibaka. That is an indictment of the roster. Like Serge Ibaka, even at you know seventy percent of what he used to be or sixty percent, is still a very useful player. Who even during the regular season, even though he was inconsistent, there was still like he would still have these chase down blocks and still sort of have like a give a shit meter and like do something around the rim or like fight somebody even like he's just nothing right now like I don't think you could have expected this level of nothingness from Serge Ibaka so I don't think it's like that much of an indictment on the roster um and also I think like I don't know I was thinking about this today like how different is this series if Pascal Siakam OG Ananobi and Jakob Pertl are like three years older same rosters, everyone's the same, except those guys are just a little further along. Like, maybe Pascal can offer a little bit of shooting and rim protection. Maybe Jakob Pertl can, like, find what he did in the regular season defensively instead of being just a pumpkin on that end in the playoffs. I don't know what's going on there. Um, like, it just, it's a weird sort of thing where the timelines of the roster, I didn't really think it was an issue before, but maybe it is. And maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise that the Cavs role players, who are old as shit and have been around a long time, are sort of acting as such and are, you know, performing performing in the playoffs in a way that they've gotten nice performances. Like, Pascal was really good in Game 1. Uh, Jakob Pertl was pretty decent last night, I think, in his minutes, even though his defense wasn't great. His offense was nice. Like, Fred last night had a great game. DeLon didn't have a great game, but he's been awesome in the playoffs for the most part. Um, like, they, they've had good performances. They just haven't really all come at the same time. And I think that's hurt, especially when you have Ibaka, who's just a nothing in the, in the starting five. Um, so I really do think, like, just with a little bit of age with these guys, it could be different. But I don't know. It's how do you sort of? Or sorry, did I? I stepped on a point you were making. Were you going to make a point? I, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think I was going to just touch on. Um, no, I forget. We we should just go on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. The so the LeBron thing. I have such a hard time with like any of this and sort of like shitting on the Raptors and making all the jokes. Like I understand the jokes are going to come, but also I think like, what is it like, are we just not appreciating how great LeBron James is whenever we like deride the Raptors for not being able to beat him? Like he's ridiculous. Last night, 43 points, 14 assists, eight boards, nine of 28 shooting. 
Uh, I think eight of those were like 20-foot fadeaway step backs for some reason because he just felt like it. Felt like he was playing horse against himself. It was insane. And like he was dishing the ball incredibly. And the, you know, it wasn't even like the Raptors were sending extra attention to him. It was just like the minor mistakes that they were making. He is so good that he can find them and point them out and, and sort of make you pay for them. And I, I just don't know what you are supposed to do. And when LeBron's playing like this, I don't, I don't really know if there's an answer to, to what he does. And I, I think it kind of does him a disservice to sort of his greatness to say like, oh, the Raptors choked it away again, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's been doing this for eight years, man. Like, Jonas Valanciunas on the sideline yesterday when, when LeBron was hitting these shots, you could see he was just throwing his arms up. And like, I can't blame him. I can't blame the Raptors for being mentally beaten by by this dude because like I think it's pretty damn human to, to be beaten by a guy who just does the shit that he does on a nightly basis I just I have a hard time saying like this is more on the Raptors than it is on just LeBron being freaking ridiculous but I don't know do you agree uh no I, I disagree just because of the way that Indiana series went hmm. um you, you know Indiana had a definitive game plan it was we're gonna stop everyone else LeBron can go get his. Ty Lue, he even pointed it out in the press conference yesterday after the game where he said, you know, Nate McMillan had a great plan where no matter what, Thad Young would not leave Kevin Love's jersey. Mm -hmm. He was in his jersey all series. And even when LeBron would come into the lane, even if it it was going to be uncontested, he was not leaving Kevin Love. Once again, Serge Ibaka should probably be doing that and has been not doing that anyway carry on (laughs) i mean it's been whoever right i mean this is the other problem where you know if you're trying to hide rosen and cj miles on an all-star it's probably not going to work out well yeah um and so you know i think that's another problem where what is the raptors plan defensively like it almost seems like they're trying to do too much it's like they want to limit lebron with the by defending him one-on-one but they also um are trying to sort of limit the role players, and they're doing neither. The role players are getting theirs. Jeff Green is in averaging double digits over the two games. Kyle Corver went off in game one. J.R. Smith's been good in both games. So uh, it, the Raptors have to identify a game plan and just stick to it. And something, it obviously needs to be something simpler because the defense is not working. And for Indiana to be able to do it for seven games um, and compete the way that they competed, uh, it, there's no excuse for Toronto. Yeah, I also do wonder how much of that series was... Uh, like, it's not like the the role guys and the Pacers weren't getting open looks in that series. Like, LeBron finds open looks for guys. So that's just kind of how he does it. And he was also playing out of his mind. Um, but, like, yeah, he, like, he will find... Like, J.R. Smith going, like, one of seven from three in games. Like, that obviously is going to eat into your effectiveness. And I think there is something to the idea of the role players just playing better. Maybe the, Ra- the Raptors' defense is feeding into that. I'm sure it is. But, like, I don't think the Raptors are doing... Like, they're not playing as hard as the Pacers were. That's for sure. But I also think, like, at some point, you just got to be like, okay, like, Kevin Love's going to hit a bunch of threes. Like, like I, I don't know. I don't... I do fault the strategy because, yes, like, they're, they're not doing it good enough. They're not being attentive enough off the ball. Uh, I also think like this kind of all ties back into the Ibaka problem where you could have lineups out there if you were playing better that would be more equipped at dealing with Kevin Love and you wouldn't have to have situations where CJ Miles is guarding him but because Ibaka is unplayable you have to get into these weird rotational things where you're like all right let's try this I guess like 
yes, Casey has some fault here, but I also think it's just like he's been trying the best he can with the guys who are playing well, and maybe just the roster is not quite ready for this. And you know, that, that's maybe that's a Masai thing. Maybe that's just a time thing. And there's nothing you could do because you need time for these guys to fully develop. And once again, maybe we just kind of overestimated what they'd be able to do in their first real playoffs uh, for a lot of these guys. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. It's I think their strategy on LeBron has been mostly fine. I think OG's done a pretty decent job on him. It's the losing Corver, losing love off the ball. And that's, I think, a personnel thing more than it is an effort thing. Like, I don't think the, effort, the Raptors aren't trying. Maybe they didn't in the second half yesterday, but, like, the first half... They were all over it. The second, the, the first game, they were they they played good defense. Their fourth quarter defense was outstanding in the fourth quarter in overtime. They just couldn't score a damn bucket. Um, like I don't think it's uh, them not trying or like having like less effort unless it's a Baca. Um, but I I just maybe the personnel. I think uh, Carter Rodriguez made this point. Like maybe just like the Raptors personnel. The Raptors are a better team than the Pacers, but maybe their their role players are less designed to give the the Cavs problems. And then also, like, the Raptors have had a sound strategy against Jeff Green. Like, leave him wide open. Don't bother with him because he sucks. And he hasn't sucked for two games. And you just have to, like, throw your hands up at that, too. It's like, all right, you're just going to go four of six from three, even though you're Jeff Green and have a career 53 true true, true shooting percentage? Like, I don't know what there is to counter that either. Um, so, yes, while there's some fault there for the Raptors and for Dwayne Casey and and just the, the, the attentiveness... I think it's probably attentiveness more than it is effort and just sort of like not really knowing what the, if they're switching, if they're not switching, if they're sticking with their man, like there's been some issues with that. There was one play yesterday, I think it was like Corver, LeBron pick and roll, uh, might have been Smith actually, either way, uh, OG was on LeBron, Miles was on Smith, and then, you know, Smith sets the, the screen, they both chase LeBron, like they both, like, like OG thought they were switching. Miles thought yep. they were playing straight up, and then there's just like a wide open three for I can't. It was either Corver or Smith at the top of the uh, top of the arc, and it's just like that's that's bad like communication. That's that, that's bad. Just I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know what the orders are there. It's so hard to say like what the, like what Casey's doing there because I don't know what his orders are. It's either the the bad orders of hey don't chase the three point shooter, which I'm sure is probably not the orders. I think it's just bad execution. So I don't know. I have a hard I mean, time. It was there. It was there right at the beginning of the game as well when yeah. Lowry and Jonas were de- de- defending the pick and roll, and Love got wide open twice. And one time, I think he got an easy dunk, and the other time, he missed an open shot. Yeah. You know, you at home against a team like this, if you're really trying to set yourself apart as this one seed that can truly contend. There's got to be that level of attention to detail. There's got to be that desire to set the tone right from the beginning and you know we keep harping on Ibaka like okay if you're not gonna make shots that's one thing but right from the tip off if you can't hold on to the ball and like you're turning it over right away yeah like that just uh, isn't the right way to sort of send a message to the Cavs and you could see that you know in game one again you know where they jump out to this 14 point lead and then again instead of stepping on their throats they're turning it over they're letting that back in they're sort of taking possessions off and you know you just can't do that yeah the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date 
Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm not going to, we don't really have to look ahead to game three because I'm having a podcast tomorrow with Mike Zavigno from uh, Fear of the Sword. We're going to just like look ahead to game three and see if the Raptors have a chance to actually win it. But um, let's look ahead to more big picture stuff like because that's already what's coming out and that's already the conversation now because it feels like this series is probably over. They're down 2-0 going back to Cleveland. They haven't won in Cleveland in ages. I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors won a game if the Cavs role players get cold. I mean, they're already in a groove, so maybe they're boned. But um, considering their their season, their up and downness, and and sort of the inconsistency inconsistency with which with which they've played, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors stole one here because they're still a very good team. And like Kyle and Demar have been good, and you get a nice performance from Surge, bounce back. Maybe he shows some pride. <laughs> like I don't know, maybe he gets some football in him. Maybe he'll he'll play better. Um, and maybe I, I would be shocked if they pulled one out, but assuming they lose this series, like mm-hmm. we're going to get into the conversations of like what to do next because this is what happened last year. They lost to the Cavs in unceremonious fashion, and then it was the culture reset. What's next? If because like, you can't call for a culture reset again, they've already reset the culture. They had an excellent season. They, they like I do. I'm bummed because I feel like this series is going to kind of wash away what an excellent and fucking fun regular season this was, man. Like, it was such a good season. So much growth. So many young guys doing things you didn't expect. Kyle and DeMar taking new roles and succeeding with them. Like, this was an excellent season from top to bottom. And and I don't want this series to sort of poison that, even though it will, because only everyone only gives a shit about the playoffs, which is stupid to begin with, because why play 82 regular season games if you're not going to put any importance on it? But still, that's besides the point. Going forward, like, what is the next move if they lose? Do you keep it? Do you run it back? Do you just say, hey, it's LeBron. Like, we can't, there's nothing we can do about this. So let's just run it back, hope the East is different next season, and hope for a different result. Or do you do something? And, and if so, what? I think you have to make a change. Um, I don't think you can come back with the same core just because I think, um, you know, obviously we can't say anything definitively about their mentality because we're not in their heads, but. Sorry, and also, it, just to cut you off for one way. sec, for, What's just, I, I'm really sick of people, like, already, like, oh, they're so mentally weak. Like, we can't talk about, like, the stigma against mental weakness with this, especially with this series with, with Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan that instantly make it some sort of flaw in them that they're mentally weak and can't get over this hump. Like, stop assigning and ascribing some, for, some, some like, mental weakness to these players because they can't beat LeBron. Like, it's human as fuck. It's extremely human to not be able to beat LeBron James. Anyway, I don't, carry I, on. I don't think those two things are the same. No, no they're the... different. They're different. But just like the, inst- the, 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 just like the urge to be like, oh, these guys are so mentally weak and that's a problem. Like, it's... First, it's basketball. Second of all, it is a monumental challenge that no one has been able to overcome. So I don't blame them for being broken down by it. I don't blame them for that. Like, they weren't mentally weak against the Wizards. They came back and won that series and did it pretty handily. Uh, Like, that's not mental weakness in in the face of that. But in the face of the Cavaliers, I totally get being sort of defeated by it. Anyway, that's just a side, side note. Continue on. I'm sorry. Yeah, so anyway... I think at this point, when you've taken that much of a beating from the Cavaliers over and over again, I don't think you can come back with the same core. Yeah, I think you need some fresh minds in there, mm-hmm. and whether it, you know, I, I think it definitely has to be a head coach. Um, I'm extremely appreciative of Dwayne Casey sort of taking this franchise out of the gutter along with Masai and getting the team to this point. Um, 
But at this point, the flaws that have been exposed, the lack of in-game adjustments, the rotations, um, I, I do think it's time for a new face um, just to change things up. And I, I, you probably have to strongly consider uh, a trade among the core as well. Um, and again, I hate to say this because I love watching him play. Uh, he's someone that competes his heart out every time he's out there. But I think in terms of getting good value and sort of sticking with the timelines that you spoke to earlier, I think it has to be Kyle Lowry. You have to look and see what you can get for him. Um, because if you're going to have a star, you need a star that can that brings a one-on-one game to the table, um, that can create their own shot, and he's just someone that can't do that anymore. Yeah, I get that perspective. I also kind of disagree entirely. I, I think it's, it's so weird how before this season we were like, oh, maybe they'll win like 48 games and develop some young guys, and then 2018-19 will be the sort of all-in season for this window, and then they over overperform expectations, they're really good, and suddenly that like accelerates all these decisions, and that's weird to me. I, I don't think... You have to break it up. I think, first of all, it's really it's going to be really hard to. Like, Kyle Lowry, he's only got two years on his deal. Maybe he's movable. Um, I don't think you can get rid of Serge Ibaka without attaching an asset, which I'm not sure the Raptors are going to want to do after doing that with Damari Carroll last summer. Um, and they don't have a first-round pick this season. They don't have any draft picks this season. I'm sure they'll buy into the second round or something. But um, like you can't attach a pick from this year, and you know, I don't think you can trade your first-round pick next year because you traded it this year. So they're kind of stuck with Serge, I think, and you just hope that he like stops sucking. Um, and uh, like you're not trading tomorrow, I don't think, because that contract is going to be too hard to move, especially in the summer where no one has cap space. Um, maybe you benefit from the fact that like there's not a lot of free agents out there, and maybe some team that's desperate for a point guard you can do. I can I can see why the logic would say, hey, trade Kyle Lowry. Also, I say I think that like I don't mind running it back again because in theory. These young guys are better a year from now, and, and like OG, Pascal, Jakob Pertl, Delon Wright, Fred Van Vliet, assuming they keep him, which I think they probably will at this point because he's so good. Um, like, I don't think you, like, it, it feels like it would be kind of giving up on a team that has a chance to do something very good again next year. And you don't know what the, the, the East is going to look like next year. LeBron still could very well leave to the Cavaliers. And it's, you know, the Celtics and Sixers are these monsters that are awaiting to sort of take their, their perch atop the throne. But they also rely on guys who get injured a lot. And Joel Embiid and Kyrie Irving. And we don't know what Gordon Hayward's going to look like next year. And yes, the Celtics do whatever they want anyway because Brad Stevens is really good and they just win stupid games all the time. And Terry Rozier is suddenly like an all-star. But um, like you have no idea what the landscape of the East is going to look like next season. It could be entirely different. And if that's the case, like how bummed are you going to be if they trade, if they get rid of the core, they trade Kyle Lowry, get rid of Dwayne Casey, and they come back next year as like a 40-ish win team at best, and the East was ripe for the taking. Like I feel like that would be a premature move after a season in which this wasn't supposed to be like the, the, the like the, the the final referendum on the Raptors. Like this was supposed to be a transitional year before next year was another all-in season. And I think you kind of owe it to the young guys who you're developing. And I, I like, I don't think you can get rid of Dwayne Casey after the season he just had and changing the culture, changing the offense entirely, laying the foundation that he's laid. 
Like I just think that would be a, like, and maybe it happens. And I, if you if you like, you could probably sell me on it just based on like a changing up the the room and changing up the voice thing. But just based on merit and what he's done, there's no logic to firing him because he just changed the entire trajectory of the franchise in one season. And yes, it's the same result. But I also think a lot of it is tied to coming up against a dude who is the best player ever, probably. And a lot of it is tied up in that and comparing yourself and making these grand sweeping decisions in the shadow of the best of all time. And a guy who's done this to so many franchises over the course of a decade, I just I don't know. There's so much more value in being the team that loses to LeBron in the second or third round every year than it is in being the Magic or the Bulls or some team that's hanging around at the bottom of the Eastern Conference or barely scraping in like the Pistons. I just think running it back and being another 50-win team, which they should be next season, there's no reason why they wouldn't be um, if everything goes to plan. Why does just changing the coach mean they're going to being the Magic or the Pistons or the Bulls? No, but trading Kyle Lowry means they get much worse. I I, I said you explore it. I didn't say you absolutely trade him. Fair enough. Okay, that's fair. You explore it and you see what you can get from him. But I think you absolutely have to – something in that core has to change. But, like, what does does firing Dwayne Casey change about what, like, next season looks like? Like, how does that change the the overall ceiling of the team? I think it changes the defense, depending on who who you bring in. I mean, they've changed the defense a few years, a few different times under Casey. Like they've changed up the they used to play a high high hedging scheme. They've dropped. They've changed to the more drop back scheme. Like they've they've been malleable defensively under Dwayne Casey. Like they've changed what they've done. Yeah, but even even the game plan. I mean, you don't think his in game adjustments are weak. I think, think been, I think they've been better this season, and I think his rotations have maybe they're more regular season effective rotations. I don't know. Maybe that that that's maybe a criticism, in that like he has staunch rotations and it's good for regular season success. Maybe it's not so great in the playoffs. I can buy that argument, but I also think he's done a pretty good job of like riding hot hands, like we've seen in the playoffs against the Wizards. Like three of those games, four of those games, they blew it open in the fourth quarter. Because Casey found a lineup that was perfectly suited to sort of exploit what was out there, and I thought it was—I thought he did a really good job in that series of his in-game adjustments in a way that he hasn't in the past. I, feel, I think that's a fair criticism of the past. This season, I don't think that's quite as valid. I, I think in the in the first round he was pretty good with it, and in the second round he's been less good with it. But also he's been hampered by one of his, th- in theory, three best players being an absolute nothing. I I I, I can I would buy it. I can buy it. I can understand it. I just don't really see how it changes the ceiling of the team because they were already a top five defense this season. Maybe the scheme is not suited perfectly to stop LeBron James, but no, no scheme is going to perfectly stop LeBron James. He's still going to be LeBron and do LeBron things. And whether or not his role players, maybe that's tied into how you're playing the defense off ball. But I just, I think LeBron is kind of an offense unto himself. And I think to assume that you can get just get a new coach and that's going to change the outcome, I think that's kind of naive. I don't. I don't think it changes the outcome, but I'd like to see a different process trying to achieve it. Um, I mean, I, I if I, I I would have a big problem watching this team if to know that Indiana took Cleveland to seven games, and for this team, if they get swept, which they still might not, that, we don't know what's yeah, going to happen. But, but if they do, then I just don't see how it can happen. Yeah, like, I mean. I don't. I don't care if he wins Coach of the Year. Yeah, I don't really care about that either. I don't think you should get bogged down in that. I, I just. I think he did a good enough job this season in changing what they do. Like I think, he, it's good. It's progress, but it's not like 
if you're trying to take keep the wheels in motion I, I, I just don't see I think you've just reached a, a stage where you need to develop a little quicker I mean in terms of challenging players I mean you look at the, you look at the whole, whole sort of Casey DeRozan Lowry Valanciunas era it's taken a long time to get to this point yeah, but isn't that more... Why has why it taken three, four years to say, oh, you know what, this offense doesn't work, we need to change it? Why does it take Messiah Ujiri to have to have this final sort of, we're going to change the culture, and this big statement for something to finally change? Like, that's, that's the thing that's been lacking in every postseason, right? The proactiveness. Yeah, th- those are good points. I, I agree to an extent. I also think... It's always been more tied to the talent than the coach. And I think the coach has done a really good job of milking every last ounce of potential out of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Like, I don't see those guys having any greater sort of... Like, I don't think they pop a ceiling off of what those two are with some other coach. Like, I think Casey's done a really damn good job of unlocking them. And I think in the past, having an offense that ran through those guys was probably a smart idea considering the players around them. This season, it made more sense for them to sort of sit back and still and just kind of pick their spots. Um, as DeMar's three became not much more accurate, but more sort of liberal in its, you know, in, in how much he was willing to use it, and sort of his playmaking got better. Like, I think all these, like, the culture reset doesn't work this season unless you have the sort of development of skills for guys like Kyle and DeMar in, the, in previous years. And I think a lot of that came out of what they used to run. Like, I, I, I get that the past playoff things have been bad, but I, I also think like the everything, the, the the past playoff issues, the not being able to beat LeBron, I think it mostly comes down to the talent on the team as opposed to the coach. And I don't think a new coach is is sort of like molding Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan into some crazy like superstar who can just beat LeBron James. Like that's just not happening. That's not what those guys are. And that's a and if. So here's I, – I think it's mostly as a philosophical thing with how you – what you want out of your basketball team. And for me, I don't particularly care if they win a title. I got – it would be awesome. It would be great. I would like the Raptors to be good though and I'd like, to stay, like them to stay good because they're more interesting that way. They're more fun and compelling to watch over the course of a regular season. And especially in a league where the Warriors are probably winging it all for the next two years anyway or three years and LeBron exists. Like I'm okay in like – just like enjoying the small victories along the way as opposed to like the enormous victory at the end. And I've, I've accepted that this Raptors team is not going to win a title. Like, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I don't think you rush to break it up because it's not going to win a title because I think if you play the zero-sum game, you're here for disappointment a whole lot of the time. And yes, sometimes you can blow it up and it works out and you become the Sixers. Or sometimes you blow it up and you, it doesn't work out and you become the magic. And I, I think it's just as likely that those things happen. I trust Masai Ujiri, but bad luck happens. And, and strange draft picks happen. And guys who seem like they'd be good picks don't work out or lottery luck goes, goes the wrong way. And I think I would rather the stability of being a 50-plus win team that's on the precipice on the precipice and has a chance sometimes if everything breaks right to maybe fall into a finals than sort of blowing it up and the uncertainty that comes with that. Yeah, but I that's mean, just me. It's a, I, I, it's a philosophical thing, and I, I'm probably... But at no point have I said blow it up. Have, at no point have I said blow it yeah, up. Yeah, but trading Kyle Lowry kind of implies I, that. Again, I said you explore what you can get. If you can get a, a, a legitimate two-way player back in return that can create his own shot, I think that's something that you consider. Yeah, but I just don't think you're getting that with him at 31 with two years of $30 okay, so, million. Dollars. Okay, so- Okay, so then don't trade Kyle Lowry. Forget that then. Okay. Let's forget about that. I'm just saying, I, I don't think you can come back with the same coach 
That's fair. But again, I don't think the coach is changing the, le- I, is the level of the, co- the players, is what I'm saying. It's kind of my point. Okay, but, but I'd, I'd rather be a 48-50 to 50 win team that plays a more con- playoff-conducive style throughout the regular season and then is more capable of winning in the postseason. But wasn't that what they be- just did? Like, they've done that this season. They're playing a more playoff-conducive style. Their offense has worked perfectly. The defense hasn't worked. But I think that's more a LeBron thing than it is anything else. Sure. But, I mean, we also saw that the defense wasn't very effective against plus 500 teams. Their their defensive rating against plus 500 teams was about 109. Yeah, that's fair. I I don't know how to really... I mean, their fourth quarter defense was good against everybody. I I think there's lots of noise in all those things. still poor. Yeah, their clutch rating was poor, but their clutch defense was good. Their offense was bad, was bad in the clutch, and that just seemed like small sample weirdness more than anything because the offense has been good for the most part. And, like, their fourth quarter defense was, like, three and a half points better than anyone else in, in fourth quarters. It's been great so far in the playoffs, except for last night. Um, like, even, again, against the Cavs late in that game, they played really good defense. They were contesting everything. They were, you know, giving LeBron problems. It's just LeBron has a way of getting around it. And I don't really know if you can evaluate the entire team's style of play against LeBron. I think that's just like an unfair bell curve to grade it on. But just from you, you mentioned, you know, being mentally broken down by having to see LeBron over and over again. Mm -hmm. Don't you think a fresh face would at least help alleviate some of that? And at least give them some kind of renewed hope that we're going in with, you know, a new strategy or a new philosophy. Maybe like that's that's a possibility. Like again, if there's a move to make, like I, again, I, I didn't, I probably unfairly suggested that you suggested blowing it up. That was that's more people I was like dealing with on Twitter over the last couple of days. But um, I can get on board with the coach thing to an extent. I, I just think it. I, the, the the returns you're going to get on it, I think, will be diminishing because I, I just don't think the, the the upgrade... The chance that you're going to upgrade is, A, just as likely as you're going to downgrade. I mean, Dwayne Casey's a really good coach, and he's proven it. And I, I like the, the there's also risk in bringing in a new coach, and maybe it doesn't latch on. Maybe the philosophy doesn't work there. And I wonder how much people would be considering getting rid of Dwayne Casey if Jerry Stackhouse wasn't on the brink of potentially leaving. Like, I, I think there's lots of people that really want Stackhouse as the coach, and maybe this factors into it, but I don't think the, like, the rush... In, and I'm not, accusing you, I'm not accusing you of this, but like I, I think the rush to not lose Stackhouse might be sort of coloring people's opinions of this. I don't know. Um, but I, again, I, I don't... I don't see a coach coming in and saying, like, alright, we're playing this new revolutionary defensive scheme that's only going to stop LeBron James. Like... I, I don't know. I, I think you have to be the Warriors to stop LeBron James. Just that's just kind of my thing. And yes, the Pacers did it for seven games. I, I don't think that's the, like I think the the Cavs should have won that series. And in that they play fifteen games, the Cavs probably win ten of them or whatever. Um, I, I think over the course of time, the the role players will, would would even out, and it's not just going to be a LeBron show. Maybe that's wrong. That could be wrong too. Maybe the Pacers have this you know revolutionary scheme, and Nate McMillan's crafted, but. I don't really think that was the case. I think it was just the case of the, of the Cavs role players not being as good. And I don't know, man. It's I, I I get the argument for a coaching change. I just don't really see how it manifests in some sort of like over overarching change in how the Raptors approach the Cavs if you have the same players. Because I think the talent on the team is just always going to be lesser than that of a team that has LeBron James. 
Yeah, I mean, I get that, but uh, I just have a problem with if the if the series continues the way Game Two went. And I mean, and, and again, this is my personal opinion. I was disappointed uh, to hear that I, after a game two loss, you're already playing for pride. I yeah, mean, that was not great. <laughs> if, 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 you, if you really are claiming to be the number one seed in the East, if you really believe that you can beat this team, then all you need to say is, hey, these two games, we got to go to game three and we got to try and win game three. That's it. Yeah, that's fair. And in fairness to Demar, I think Demar was saying that today, and like Fred Van Vliet, <laughs> he quote unquote don't give a fuck. So uh, <laughs> about the LeBronto thing, damn you, Mark Jones, really. Uh, Le- LeBronto is the new two years away from being two years away slash Brazilian Kevin Durant. Um, so Fran Fraschillo is forever out of my dog dog uh, doghouse. But God. <laughs> Lebronto <laughs> is never going. We're we're stuck with Lebronto until he retires. It's it's exhausting, and I hate it already. Um, we've gone for like forty five minutes. Do you have anything else you want to throw in there? It's gotten heated between us today. These usually we're usually disagreeing with each other. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> anything else to add? Um, no, no, not much. I think we covered a lot. So yeah. Uh, We'll let the people be. Yeah, I still love you. I'm not mad at you. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just man. basketball. I'm not mad. Yeah, exactly. Um, For sure, man. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, no. This is uh, unfortunate. One last thing for you, quickly. If the Raptors yep. win a game or two, say they win game yes. three, it comes back, they win game five. It's They mm-hmm. go down 3-2, they lose in six. Does any of your opinion about the coach change? I mean, because a lot of it's very results based, and I, I know that's like kind of the business we're in. But results based in a two game sample is also kind of a, a, I don't know a tricky game to play. Yeah. So again, for me, it, it's still more about the process. Like when I saw in game one with the fourth quarter changes that the Cavs made and LeBron picking up Lowry, and I, I was sort of waiting and waiting to see what the adjustment from Casey would be, and it just never came. It was just you know, it'll work out. Or it was almost like that was the expectation. Now, obviously, if Ibaka hits a wide open three, yeah, they missed a lot of three. shots. Make or miss league, Doug. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like it was glaringly obvious that the offense had lost its flow. Yeah, and and so to not see any adjustments there, and and then in game two to just the team just sort of unraveled and. Like they just lost hope. Whether isn't so now. Whether they lost hope in the strategy and saying, "Oh, this this just isn't going to work." Then, you know, I think there's then you have to look at you know how do we give life to these players again? And the unfortunate circumstance here for Casey, because again, he's done a great job in, in taking the franchise from where it was to where it is now. The unfortunate thing for him is that it's a lot easier to replace one coach than it is fifteen players. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's going to suck if Dwayne Gacy gets fired because he's a really great dude. He's been excellent for the team. He's done a fantastic job. Um, but I don't know. If things go poorly the next two games, I wouldn't be surprised. And I guess you'd live with it. And maybe they bring in Stackhouse. Maybe they bring in someone from outside of the organization uh, some fresh eyes, which I wouldn't hate either um, if you're going to go that route. But, uh, yeah, 
pretty dark. And I mean, if <laughs> if, if, if Demar is gonna uh, obviously you expect him to continue here. I mean, you need whether it's Casey, whether it's anyone else, you need someone that's gonna challenge him to do more defensively. Yeah, that's I fair. mean, it just can't continue like this. Demar's had a maddening series defensively because he's been mostly awful, but he's had like four or five like ridiculous defensive plays that like are like, dude, you can do this. <laughs> like he had that block strip thing on Love in Game One. He had like that amazing switch on the on the LeBron at the end of overtime that forced the shot clock yeah. violation. He had the block, yeah. on, like the ridiculous block on Kyle Korver. He did another nice switch on, on LeBron last night as well. It's just he's got it there, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we've got a long time. There's lots of stuff we can cover, but uh, I'm going to do more of a Game 3 preview-ish podcast tomorrow with Mike Zavigno, as I mentioned, from Fear the Sword. Uh, follow Mike. He's uh, very good at this. He's uh, he's much smarter than I, so I'm excited to talk to him about it all. And uh, Vivek, anything you have to plug right now? Um, no, I have my usual stuff with Norpole Hoops out. and um, I'll be doing the game preview for, tomorrow, uh, for uh, Game 3. Uh, that'll be up this Saturday morning, so you can check that out on Raptors Republic. Uh, but besides that, yeah, just hopefully um, the Raptors can keep playing for as long as possible and we can sneak in a little bit more money for ourselves. <laughs> if the Raptors lose, actually, Raptors' losses tend to be good for business and listens, so um, it's not the worst. Um also, I have a softball game on the night of Game Five, my first hit, first of the season with a team with, with a team of people with a team of people I've never met before. So missing the first game will be a pain in the ass. But also, like if they get swept, at least there's a silver lining. I don't know. We're True. we're into the dark phases now. Let's mm-hmm. uh, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, thanks so much for listening again. Back tomorrow with an episode with Mike Zavigno. Till then, subscribe, rate, review, uh, drink hard liquor, all that stuff. It'll help, (laughs) maybe. Uh, And we will talk to you again on the next episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.